1: And welcome everybody, Disability Law Show. Good to have you along for this edition of the show. It's going to be a busy one and an information-packed session as well over the next hour. So stick around for the entire thing. You may have questions as we uh, as we roll through the show. Here's how you get those questions answered. You can call uh, Savan and his team at one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred or help at disabilityrights.ca. As you know by now, we have had a TV show. Uh, on the air across the country pretty uh, pretty much across the country long-running tv show DisabilityRights.ca. the website there'll be a drop-down menu at the top you can find a a place and a station to catch that show if you uh, if you tune into that as well a 30-minute taste of what we do here on the radio several times during the week now savannah we have a um, a good pal of ours and also a member of your team at the firm albert klein with us i know you guys got so much to discuss so i don't want to waste any more time uh doing the introductions what do you got going today guys
2: That's right, uh, John. Uh, Again, a very busy week, and we have Albert here. He's been here before. Uh, Mm -hmm. Albert is a partner in our uh, disability, long-term disability practice group. Uh, He practices and and represents uh, individuals who have been denied and cut off long-term disability in three provinces, in Ontario, British Columbia, and Alberta. So he's got a ton of experience. And what I want to start with is actually an email that I had received from a psychiatrist out of B.C., and when I send that to Albert, he says, "Well, I actually know her, and she's been very helpful in terms of, uh, you know, um, dealing with some of the clients that he's been helping uh, because she's their psychiatrist." A- and so she starts off the email to me saying, "Dear wonderful lawyers," which is always a nice email to get uh, from someone. And and, and she, sa- she says, she uh, says, she says, "I advocate for my patients all the time, but do not have answers uh, to some of these common questions." So let's start off with the questions that this psychiatrist has. And clearly, John, she's very involved with her patients, and uh, she, I think she takes it personally when the insurance company downplays or ignores her recommendations that her patients, uh, the insured individuals, are denied long-term disability. So here's what she writes. She says, when a person does go to an IME, which is an independent medical assessment, as per the request from the insurance company, can they take an advocate with them? In other words, can they take their lawyer with them or someone uh, that can advocate for them? She says, can they refuse to go if they're not allowed an advocate or a chaperone? Can they tape the meeting? She says many times they have uh, these individuals have severe depression and are therefore possibly incompetent. Uh, and so, and she writes a few other things here, but the the, the crux of that. Uh, question is, you know, when you go or when an individual is told by the insurance company, we want you to be seen by one of our doctors or consultants for an assessment, can they take someone with them? There is no hard and fast rule here. I can tell you that typically speaking, insurance companies obviously don't like that. Uh, They want there to be this um, one-on-one assessment between the assessor the doctor or the consultant, whoever is doing the assessment, and the individual, the insured person. I don't know that there is any rule against it. We'll see what Albert has to say about that. As far as I'm concerned, if there are issues of competence, that raises a whole slew of other considerations. For example, if you have someone here uh, who is either incompetent or is simply not in the state of mind to undergo an assessment, well, then the question becomes, does that person need a litigation guardian? Does that person need a power of attorney, You know, somebody that represents them? So there's all these considerations. I can tell you that there are some doctors out there who work for insurance companies who will refuse to do an assessment if there's someone else in the room. Again, no hard and fast rule on this. I haven't seen anywhere in an LTD policy where it says that you have to attend by yourself. But in some instances, the insurance company will say yes. And in some instances, I've had the insurance company say no, in which case it becomes a point of contention and a negotiation. Mm-hmm. But I understand why the psychiatrist is obviously very concerned about this because you know, she wants to make sure that her patients who are going to these assessments with these doctors who are hired by the insurance company... She wants to make sure that these individuals are protected because even though those doctors may be excellent doctors and may be very good practitioners, they are hired by the insurance company. So there is an agenda here, right? There is a concern that uh, they may mischaracterize something and, and hence her question about can they tape the meeting, which again is something that has to be discussed with the doctor or the insurance company. Technically, there is nothing that says you cannot tape it. Sometimes the, the doctor, though, will have some kind of a release or some kind of a piece of paper that you have to sign before the assessment that preclude you taping the oh. meeting. So, again, it's something where we have seen it go both ways depending on the doctor, depending on the assessor, depending on the insurance company. So it's on a case-by-case basis, but I understand the concern. And if a doctor has that concern or an individual has that concern, they should reach out to us because we can then guide them in their particular situation. Albert, have you had uh, these kinds of issues arise?
3: Yeah, I've had these kinds of issues arise and I've definitely
2: seen instances where
3: someone actually has brought someone to an independent medical examination. And as you said, there's no hard and fast rules, it's very, very case by case. But the way that I always like to kind of convey it to my clients is that obviously it's going to be much more compelling if it's actually true and if you have doctor support. So if I'm a claimant and I just say to the insurance company, I want someone to attend attend with me, they're going to say why. So you want to have a good rationale for that. And secondly, if you actually have medical support for needing someone to actually be there present for you, or perhaps you're not able to answer unless you have the comfort of uh, your spouse, who's usually there helping you, having that added documented support from one of your doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists, really anyone who's treating you, it's going to pay in spades if you are trying to convince the insurance company that they should let you do this. But otherwise, otherwise everything Stavan said is, is 100% on point, and uh, that's been my experience as well. But generally speaking, I like to say if you don't ask, you don't get, then you might as well ask if, it, if it's something that's a concern for you.
2: Yeah, and you know, John, one of the things that we found in our practice over the years is that it's not a one-size-fits-all and, you know, I think there are a lot of adjusters, insurance adjusters out there who are going to nod their heads. Usually they disagree with us, obviously. We're on the opposite side of the aisle here. But I think in this instance they will say, in many instances, that, you know, it does depend on the situation. And in some circumstances they understand the concern the person or the treating doctor has. And in other circumstances they say to themselves, well, why do you need someone with you? And why do you need to tape it? And et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, again, there's no one size fits all. And we encourage people to contact us if they have questions about their particular circumstances, or if they know someone who has those kinds of questions. Again, it doesn't cost anything to speak with us. To you know, any member of the team about those kinds of issues. We don't charge anything. The whole point is to give you as much information as you need to make an informed decision.
1: One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Email is help at disabilityrights Let's just
2: move on to the next question from the psychiatrist here in BC. Second question she writes is, most of us do not like to drive far, even if we are well. What are the rules regarding how far the patient has to travel to see the insurance company appointed doctor, and how long are they expected to sit for an interview? Excellent, excellent questions. Again, I've had a situation once, again, this just happened to be in BC, but I've seen it happen in other provinces too, where a person lived in a rural area, and they were expected, at least by the adjuster in that insurance company, to travel upwards of i think it was about 10 hours by car to get to the assessment and this individual suffered from a lot of pains back pains neck pains etc there were psychological issues and all that and to boot i remember that individual in addition to the pains also had uh you know the from a, from a psychological standpoint had i think either agoraphobia so they were afraid to be in public spaces this is before covid um and, and I think they had a few other uh, issues that prevent them from going. So, of course, they were concerned because if they tell the insurance company, I'm not going, the insurance company reactively is going to say, well, you have an obligation to go to an assessment where we send you to. And if you don't, we're going to hold you to be in breach of your policy obligations, and therefore, we're going to end your benefits. So when I spoke with this individual, I said to them, listen, all you got to do is tell... So first of all, you got to go to your doctor and make sure that your doctor provides you with a note that says that you cannot go uh, that far. It's going to harm your health. You're unable to do so. It's against medical advice, etc., etc. Armed with this kind of a letter from your doctor, give that to the adjuster and relate to the adjuster that you're now refusing to undergo an assessment. However, there are certain accommodations that you require. For example, if you're talking about long travel, the insurance company is going to have to provide you with, you know, w- 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 you know whatever whatever um, uh, transportation is required. Uh, you know, if there, if you need overnight accommodations, they're going to have to provide for that. Um, you know, if if uh, we're talking about a very long assessment, and some assessments can take days, right? Some of them can take an hour or two. Some of them can take days. Again. I, I, they have to accommodate your condition. They can't simply expect you to undergo an assessment without any regard whatsoever to your health and the effect of this assessment and the travel on your health. And so, again, it, there's no one-size-fits-all. It's really, really important to make sure that you know you communicate with your, your own doctor as well as the insurance company what you can and cannot do. Albert, I don't know if you've had experience with this, but you know this is not something that's uncommon. We do have these kinds of concern expressed to us. I think uh, quite frequently.
3: I mean, I mean, so I actually, I actually, that triggered me. I didn't know you were going to bring this up today, and I remember spe- spe- specifically speaking to that one client that you just mentioned. And so I actually pulled up the email that we had it right, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not going to use any names because, of course, I want to. Uh, Uh, maintain anonymity here, but we asked her to, to, of course, get a letter from her psychiatrist, which she did, and she writes, I'm unable to attend the medical examination on February 16th for medical reasons, but I am still definitely open to exploring other reasonable options at this time. A further letter from my psychiatrist reporting my inability to attend this examination will follow. Thank you for your understanding. And actually, in this instance, the insurance company did back off and didn't insist that she drive over 10 hours to go to this one day appointment, which was just a little bit ridiculous. And uh, so it just goes to show that sometimes all you have to do is ask, you need the proper support. And sometimes the insurance company is going to back off because anytime they're faced with a medical document, from one of your treating providers, they have to consider how this is going to look before a judge, if it ever went there. Mm -hmm. And so at least, at least you kind of take matters into your own hands the second you push back with a little bit of documented medical support. So, yeah, it's interesting. I, I definitely remember that case.
1: Let's take a short break, fellas, and uh, a chance for you to reach out to uh, Savan or Albert. Here's how you do that. Really simple. Give it out every show several times, one 855 Email address that we use is help at disabilityrights.ca. And don't forget about this one, mydisabilityquestions.com. It is exactly how it sounds, a chance, a place, a forum for you to go and ask some questions about uh, your particular case or for some information about long-term disability, searchable database, the best part of it. You can see if your question has been asked and answered in the past in full. If it has, read it. Might be uh, might satisfy your needs. If not, leave your question there. And Savannah, a member of his team, will get to it. Lots more on the way. Disability Law Show on Global News Radio.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser.
1: Welcome back, Disability Law Show. Here, you want to get a hold of Suvan or Albert Klein, who is a partner and a, you know, an employee uh, with the firm as well. You can reach out to either. The so, uh, phone number is the same, toll free one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. Suvan so much to cover. I know you got some other uh, some other points you want to raise and some other uh, some other cases as well. But you know, you left off you and Albert to the last show talking about an assessment and the, the the distance having to be traveled or demanded by the insurance company in light of COVID for the last 13 months, are a lot more of these being done virtually on Zoom or other WebEx or other platforms? And is that an option for uh,
2: for some of your clients? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question, John. Absolutely. 100%. No. Listen, I see my doctor now for my various uh, issues uh, by by WebEx or whatever that uh, platform is that they use. Yeah. I see no reason why most of these assessments, frankly, if not all, uh, can't be done now remotely. So, if an insurance company is saying to you, you need to travel, uh, and travel some distance in order to undergo one of these assessments, and you have difficulty with that, whether it's a concern because of COVID or some other concern, medical concern, I don't see any reason why you can't ask the insurance company for, alter- for alternatives, uh, whether it can be done remotely, whether, uh, you know, they can provide for for, for transportation, accommodation, Absolutely, John. I think COVID has changed the landscape of how these assessments are done. Um, uh, you still have to undergo these assessments. It's an obligation under your policy. Uh, but I think, again, that uh, people now have more options. And whereas before an insurance company you know, would routinely tell you to go here and there, undergo these assessments for hours on end, uh, being stuck in a doctor's office, I think now things are different. And I think the insurance company, it's incumbent on them to provide more accommodation, especially land the fact that you can do most of these assessments remotely.
1: Again, one 821 5900 the way to reach out anytime If you just have a conversation, clear some things up, get educated. That is the key before moving forward for sure. Uh, where are we going to take this now, pal?
2: Let's um, uh, go to an email that I had received, and I'd like to get Albert's thoughts on this as well. So this individual had emailed me last week, and and she wrote, When someone is approved for long-term duration on their LTD, is this reviewed on a yearly basis? Can you lose your job? If prolonged, would it be until age 65? And also, do you still have entitlement to work benefits, prescriptions, dental, etc.? So here we have, I think, four or five questions compressed into a sentence. Uh, Let's break it down, because this is quite common to hear. Number one. When you're approved for long-term disability, uh, let's make a distinction here, right? There's different parts of a long-term disability policy, generally speaking. For the first two years to get LTD, you have to demonstrate, with the help of your doctors or whoever's treating you, that you are disabled from performing the essential tasks of your own occupation. It's called the own occupation test, okay? So you cannot do the essential tasks of your own occupation. Beyond the two-year mark, in most policies, the test changes. The test now becomes any occupation can you do or are you disabled from performing the essential tasks of any occupation for which you're suited for by training education or experience in either um a part whether it's the first part the own occupation test or the any occupation test the insurance company will ask you for updated medical documentation to support your basis for disability they're not going to simply approve you and then just You know, let it be for the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, however long that's going to be. Uh, and and they don't have to. They have a right for updated documentation. I think where the question arises is how frequently can they come to you requesting those medical updates? And and some people say to me, look, it costs me money every time I have to go to the doctor to get a letter. Can I, can the, you know, can I recoup that from the insurance company? Well, unfortunately, you can't. The insurance company is entitled to this information. If your doctor is charging you for it, uh, which they're allowed to do, you have to pay it and give that information to the insurance company. So I'll tell you this. Again, there's no one-size-fits-all. I think it depends on the severity of the disability. Like if you have somebody, for example, who's paralyzed, right, somebody who has a brain injury, somebody who's in a very severe situation, severe condition, illness or injury, Clearly, for the insurance company to request an update as to whether you're disabled or not every week is ludicrous. But if you are suffering from a mental health illness or if you're suffering from, let's say, back pain, neck pain, fibromyalgia, sciatica, things like that, I can see the insurance company asking you for some kind of an update every few months, maybe every three months, six months, at least once a year. So to me, that actually makes sense here. Albert, I'm sure that you've had clients uh, ask you before. You know, is this something that we have to continue providing? Why is the insurance company bothering me? What do you tell clients when they ask you? Do I have to keep continue, uh, you know, to continue providing this information to the insurance company?
3: I mean, the law is very, very undecided on this, and 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 that's kind of the problem. And there's not. One size fits all model because every condition is different, right? Every condition uh, conditions can be very, very permanent, and it's very obvious that nothing's going to change. But most conditions, as you kind of said, are quite fluid. Some days you might feel better, some months you might feel better, some hours you might feel better, and 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 that and that's what kind of makes it a little bit a little bit tougher to. Uh, kind of generalize as to how often they're actually allowed to check in. What I usually say to my clients is, look, if it's not really going to absolutely bother you to provide them with this information or there's no medical reason not to, you probably want to do it or you or you get placed in a situation where the insurance company is potentially going to say, well, you haven't provided us with the information that we that we're asking of you and now we're going to cut you off. I'm not saying that that's right whatsoever. And as much as we like getting work because people are uh, because people are cut off and we want to obviously help them, we don't want to put them in a situation where they're likely to be cut off. And so usually I say if you can avoid it and if you're okay with just submitting the information, you're probably better off doing that because you don't want to equip the insurance company with any arguments or any reasons that they should be able to cut you off. And once again, I'm not saying that that there's a... But there's a proper basis for doing that just because you haven't submitted new, new information. And if you're ever wondering whether or not you should be submitting medical information, just give us a call anytime. And we'll, we'll discuss whether or not it's reasonable what they're asking of you. But when in doubt, I think if, it, if it's not too much of an ask, probably you're better off just submitting it.
2: Yeah, John, you know, uh, Albert mentioned something that I think is is absolutely key here, which is that uh you know, we're lawyers. I mean, we make a living out of helping individuals with their insurance denials. But one of the things that we do, which I think is counterintuitive to to a lot of individuals out there, we try and give out information and and we try to provide guidance that in a way avoids people from having to hire us. Right. So when yes. somebody calls me or emails me, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've told someone, look, you are correct to say no on this and that to the insurance company. And I think you'd be on solid legal footing. But practically speaking, even though the insurance company will be wrong to do so, they may take a contrary position, even though they're wrong, and they may cut you off, which means you're going to then need my help to, to to you know go after the insurance company again that would be good for me it'd be good for albert it'd be good for our team and our firm but it's not good for you and so i typically like to say that i give the legal advice that's what albert's talking about here we can give you the legal analysis but we also give the practical advice and the practical advice is that if you can avoid hiring a lawyer okay then you should I'm not saying that you shouldn't come to us or speak with us if you have a question or if you want to know how to navigate a certain situation because we'll give that. We'll be happy to speak with you. Again, no charge. But the advice is going to focus on how do we guide you in a way that maximizes whatever the insurance company gives you okay, under your policy but also does not mean that the insurance company is going to have an excuse to cut you off. I know Again, counterintuitive. I don't know that many lawyers, you know, operate this way. I think it's a very ethical way of doing things. Uh, but that's our goal here is to educate people and to, in a way, minimize the amount of people that end up having to contact us for, for representation or other lawyers for that matter. Because if you can resolve the matter yourself or avoid a cutoff, it means more money in your pocket at the end of the day.
1: I, I was going to say, I think it's interesting too that with, you know, with these matters and on, on the other side of the, of the office, your employment side as well, that people don't realize that these are your rights and this is sometimes money that's owed to you. This isn't a windfall. You're not, you're not being sneaky and coming out of the weeds with these insurance companies. These are your rights. So you got to get it. You, you have to be educated on this regardless, right?
2: Yeah. I've had situations. And again, I'm sure Albert has too. I think every lawyer in our office has had this where some clients, depending on, on their circumstances and their mindset, you know, they, they sort of drink the Kool-Aid that the insurance companies out there are giving them, which is to say that if you contact your insurance company for a, for a payout to pay you for disability, or if you had a fire in your house and you're contacting them you know, for, for reimbursement of personal belongings, mm-hmm. etc., somehow you are doing something wrong. Somehow you, know, you, you are you know, scamming the system. No, that is completely wrong. Look, if you can go to work, if you're not actually disabled and you are applying for disability for the purpose of getting money from your insurance company when you can, in fact, work, then it's a scam. Absolutely. Not only are we not going to help you, we're going to tell you that you're jeopardizing yourself legally by doing so. However, when you actually are disabled and your doctors confirm that you're disabled and the insurance company is not paying you or they're pressuring you to go back to work before they're ready or they're doing any number of things... That make you make your health worse, and again, they're not paying you under the policy. Guess what? You have a right under the policy of insurance, the contract that you have with them. You have a right to get paid. Now, whether you choose to stand up for your rights or to help uh, or, or to let us help you do that, that's your choice. But, but this is you're right, John. It's not a win when 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 an individual comes to us and says the insurance company cut me off benefits, and then we get involved and six months later, there's a settlement for $300,000, 400000 $500,000 that the insurance company you know, cuts a check for, they're not doing this because they're a charity. They're doing this because they understand very well that if they challenged us and we went all the way to court, which these cases almost never go to court, okay, almost never, if we did that, they know they're going to get hit hard by a judge who's not going to look uh, nicely and fondly on their behavior. So you're absolutely right. These are your rights. It's your money. What you choose to do with it is 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 your choice. But the one thing I'll tell you is, don't walk away from the money that's owed to you. Okay? Highlight the word owed. It's owed to you.
1: Simple way to reach out uh, again, just for have a conversation with Albert or Savannah. Take some time and just uh, just get a little better educated. No commitment there. Just just you're educating yourself, like we do every week on the show. We're giving out the information. One eight five five eight two one. Fifty nine hundred. The website as well, disabilityrights.ca. Help at, in front of that, will give you an email address. And always up for you to use absolutely free and anonymous, mydisabilityquestions.com. So make sure you go there any time with your questions about long-term disability. You've probably got a billion of them, so ask them. There's a searchable database as well if it has not been asked and answered in the past by uh, Sylvain or one of his team. You know, leave it there, and they will get to it uh, with an answer as well. And then if you want to follow up, you can use the the app for uh, contact information I just gave out. So, So have at it. We'll take a short break and get to more. This is the Disability Law Show
0: on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: Welcome back, Disability Law Show, and good to have you along for the ride. Albert Klein uh, joining us today, along with Savannah and of course, here every week, reaching out to the firm, to the guys. It is help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address we always go to. And the phone number, toll free, anytime, one 855 821 Fifty nine hundred. You know, it's it's funny, Savannah. Made the the relationship, and, the, and and you've you've said it countless times for many years that there's always, or not always, but there can quite often be some crossover between disability law and employment law. Sometimes they work hand in hand, and uh, which is why your firm does absolutely both expertise expertise in both both those two avenues of law is where you call it quits. But there, like I said, there's so much crossover between the two, and you kind of had something in regard to that with uh, this next question you got right.
2: Yeah, we, we finished off the last uh, the last segment by, by analyzing a question from a listener. And in that same email from that listener, uh, she wrote to me, can you lose your job while you are on long-term disability? And the answer is, uh, it depends. Um, can you lose your job? Yes, you can. Should you lose your job? No, you should not. Disability is a protected ground under most human rights legislation in Canada and you know the jurisdictions that we operate in uh, Ontario British Columbia and Alberta if you fire someone because they're disabled or while they're on disability you as an employer are potentially opening yourself up to a human rights complaint and to human rights damages that you may have to pay out not to mention potential severance and termination pay that you are gonna have to pay out uh, however all that said we have seen large employers medium employers and mom and pop, small employers who do just that, who don't understand that you have to be extremely careful when you're dealing with an individual who is disabled. Now in some instances, if you're in disability for many years, the employer can take the position that the contract of employment has been frustrated. And so therefore say, well, we're going to have to move on, hire someone else. In some instances, again, they may have to pay you something for that. In some instances, they may not. And what we tell people is contact us. Because here you are, as as you've put it, John, uh, you're dealing with with those two issues which are intersecting long-term disability law and employment law. And, And those two can affect each other. And one of the unique things about our firm is that really we do have those two practice areas. We don't do real estate law. We don't do immigration law, family law, criminal law, none of that we do employment law and long-term disability law and so our lawyers are have expertise in both areas some lawyers practice both areas some lawyers do just employment some lawyers do just long-term disability and here's where it comes uh you know into relevance if you've lost your job or you have a situation at work uh, that now leads to potential severance discussions with your employer or even if your, your employer has let you go and said, we're going to pay you X amount of severance or termination pay, you're thinking to yourself, in fact, I got a question this week from someone saying, do I have to tell my LTD insurer about that? Most likely, yes. Mm -hmm. Most LTD policies out there contain provisions that state that the insurance company, the LTD insurer, is entitled to a credit or an offset for any severance you receive from your employer. And so, if you can just imagine, John, if you're an LTD, and you've lost your job, and you went to an employment lawyer who doesn't know anything about LTD, and that employment lawyer negotiates a phenomenal severance package for you, okay? That person, that lawyer comes to you, John, and says, guess what? I negotiated 50 grand in severance. You know, you're going to get that in your pocket. Well, guess what? You may not get that in your pocket. The insurance company may get their hands on some or all of that money. So... You know, there are ways, of course, to try and go around that. Uh, There are strategic considerations when we're dealing with an employment and an LTD situation. Uh, There are tactical considerations. You want to make sure that whatever you do, you go to a lawyer or a law firm that has expertise in both areas of law. Because the reality is that if you don't, you may end up very happy in the short term and very, very sad in the long term when you find out that the money you thought's coming to you is actually going into the insurance company's pockets. Albert, you must have seen that. I, I know you actually speak with some of our uh, uh, more senior employment lawyers on this. When, when you when you are dealing with these kind of situations, I'm sure this arises all the time, right?
3: It does arise all the time, and and I know we've spoken about this on other segments. But it's so important that you speak to someone from both an employment law perspective and a long term disability perspective. I mean, as we spoke about on other segments, sometimes what can happen as well is when you think you have this. Great employment settlement. What actually you wrote off as well when you sign some documents, releasing the employer from any and all claims, you actually also release the employer from paying any disability benefits. And it's very—you have to be very, very careful anytime you're signing anything. But definitely, you want to have a bit of a perspective from both employment law and long-term disability, and you don't want to—you don't want to miss that. Otherwise, you're potentially giving up rights giving up money that you're otherwise
2: owed to. Yeah, John, actually, we have seminars in the firm uh, that we hold uh, on on a semi-annual basis yeah. where we talk about these intersectioning uh, uh, issues, and we want to make sure that all our lawyers are cognizant of the employment uh, aspects of a case like this and the LTD aspects, uh, and, again, how they merge uh, and how they diverge and making sure that nothing is missed because we have seen qu- on quite a few occasions people coming to us, for us to clean the mess that other lawyers have made because they don't have that dual knowledge dual expertise. So really, really important to understand that.
1: The number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred 821 5900 to reach out toll-free again and disabilityrights.ca, the website. Still got a couple minutes uh, to go here before we got to right. take a break, Sven, What do you want to get in on? So, so
2: I just wanted to cap off that uh, the segment uh, with the rest, the two other questions that this lady had, had emailed us right. about. It's not going to take us long, but I want to cover those because people do have that question, those questions uh, uh, quite frequently. Uh, so she's writing if prolonged, meaning that if she's on LTD uh, or accepted for LTD. Uh, would she be getting it until age 65? And number two, will she still have an entitlement to work benefits, prescriptions, dental, et right, So to answer these questions really quickly, uh, there is no automatic uh, right to get LTD until age 65. That's not to say that you should not get it, get it until age 65. I mean, listen, if you're disabled, if you've suffered a severe injury or you have a severe illness and you're 64 years old, chances are you're going to be not working until age 65. But if you're 25 years old, you know, and you're suffering from some mental health issues, perhaps, et cetera. Uh, you know, it's questionable whether or not you're going to have those issues for the next 40 years. So the insurance company is going to be assessing you on an ongoing basis. The second issue here is entitlement to work benefits and prescriptions dental. If you are on disability, uh, in many instances, the, the uh, employer does not have an obligation to continue your health benefits. Again, case by case basis. I, I can certainly answer questions if somebody emails me, John, about those. Uh, but typically, uh, you know, typically in, in most situations, uh, the employer will, will, in many instances, uh, actually pay out these work benefits. They, they will cover you, but only for a set period of time. They don't have an obligation to continue this, uh, you know, forever.
1: We'll take a short break, guys. Lots more to cover in the next uh, few minutes, but uh, here's how you reach out. In the meantime, help at disabilityrights.ca. Email address, the website, disabilityrights.ca. Links to our TV show where you can find one near you, our 30-minute TV broadcast, which we've been doing for uh, for many years. It's great stuff there, very informative. And the number, one 821 5900 Disability Law Show, Global News Radio. Welcome back, Disability Law Show, 1-855-821-5900 to reach out anytime toll-free to either Savannah or Albert or another member of their very capable team and to help at disabilityrights.ca is the email, guys. You know, a topic we often cover and relates, uh, Savannah to to what we talk about each week here on the show is not only your long-term disability with your private insurer through work or otherwise, but also CPP, Canada Pension, CPP disability. And uh, we got an email, actually, from uh, a gentleman named Sandro. I want to read this out to you and have you comment on it. It says, I've been on long-term disability for over two years. I was asked by the insurance to apply for Canada Pension Plan disability benefits a while back. It was approved. In March of this year, I received a check for over $21,000 retroactive back to 2020 and January, February, and March of this year. I continue to receive pension plan uh, disability benefits. The insurance company continues to pay me the same amount, uh, over $3,000 per month. My question is, am I responsible to let the insurance company know about my pension plan disability benefits money I've received, or will the insurance company find out on their own? And once they know, will I have to pay back this money to the insurance company? Thank you. It's a good question. Very good.
3: Very, very good question. I'll take this one. Uh, so thanks for emailing in, Sandro. Uh, ge- generally speaking, insurance companies aren't going to do things gratuitously, meaning they're not going to do things just because they like you. So when they ask you to apply for CPP disability, they're not doing it because they want to put more money in your pocket. The reason that they're doing it is because under most of these standard long-term disability policies, and I'm assuming that your policy is the standard one, Almost every single one has a provision which says, if you receive CPP disability, that reduces what the insurance company owes you. That's the reason that the insurance company asked you to apply in the first place. And unfortunately, as the law is, they're entitled to that money if you receive CPP disability. So if there's a period of time that overlaps with you receiving CPP disability and long-term disability... The CPP actually reduces what LTD you're entitled to. Right. So long, long, long story short, yes, they are entitled to the money. Yes, you should advise them of that. And if they later find out that you didn't advise them of that, it's probably going to be more of a headache than it's actually worth. My recommendation is that you do you do tell them. And generally speaking, you want to be open and honest and upfront with the insurance company because if they later find out that you've been lying to them about something, especially something that you've actually written down and now given a statement where you've signed saying that you've told them the truth, that's going to be a headache. It's going to be a nightmare. Just tell them the truth. Tell them that you got the money. They are unfortunately entitled to it and and unfortunately there's no other way around it. The good thing for you, however, is the very fact that you were approved for CPP disability is going to help your case 100%. Because the test for CPP disability, that you have a severe and prolonged disability, and the fact that you are approved by, C- by Service Canada is going to be compelling evidence that you should also meet the test for disability under your long-term disability policy because the tests are so similar. So it's going to help you a lot and actually probably convince, them, convince the insurance company to keep you on long-term disability even longer than they were going to. So definitely let them know definitely
2: let them know how much money you got John I I agree with everything that Albert said and you know he touched on something I was gonna touch on again uh, that we speak about on almost every show which is people Mm -hmm. ask "Well, why do I need to even apply for CPP disability if the insurance company is getting all the credit and Albert's completely right if you apply for it and you get it you know there is a compelling case now that you are in fact disabled the government has now recognized that you're disabled it's gonna make it that much harder for the insurance company to down the road say that you're not disabled. They still sometimes do that, but guess what? We throw it in their face that our client was in fact approved by Service Canada for CPP disability, which arguably it's even a harder test Mm -hmm. than the uh, disability test under the LTD uh, policy. Uh, But but there's another reason here that I tell people to apply. Because we know that LTD insurers a lot of times cut people off unjustly and prematurely from their benefits – People are stuck in a situation where they have no money coming in. Well, if you have CPP disability, you have that money from Service Canada coming in, which you're entitled to, by the way. You've paid into it. So, you know, if you didn't apply for CPP disability and the insurance company cut you off, you have no money coming in whatsoever. At least now, while we fight the insurance company to force them to pay you what you're owed you're still getting some money during these weeks and months that we are battling the insurance company. So it's not as though a situation where you're getting no money coming in. You do have that stream of income from the government. And there's other reasons why you should apply. Uh, But anyways, the crux of the question here is, do you tell the insurance company? Yes, Albert's correct 100%. You absolutely tell the insurance company. And frankly, I tell people, be honest with the insurance company. I think John last show, Someone, uh, emailed us about their brother who met someone from France and they were, you know, the person was on LTD and he was hoping to live six months of the year in France, uh, yeah. six months here. Should he tell the insurance company? I said, listen, honesty is the best policy. If you don't tell the insurance company that you're not going to be here or you don't check if you're even allowed to be outside the country and your LTD policy contains geographical restrictions, Guess what? The insurance company, if they find out when they find out, because typically they do, they'll come back saying, y- you know, you breached the policy, and by the way, we want the repayment. So you need to be upfront with the insurance company. Don't lie. Don't hide anything. Uh, and and again, you run into any difficulties or you have questions, you come to us, uh, and and you know, we'll help you. We'll help you through it.
1: 1-855-821-5900 is the way you reach out for help anytime or help at disabilityrights.ca. We just got a couple minutes left. Savannah, you want to wrap this up? Uh, and, uh, where do you want to take it?
2: I want to take it, uh, and again, I mean, I have a whole bunch of questions here from people, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna end with, with something that again comes up time and time again, and we'll get to Albert's take on this as well. It's when people are contacting us and saying, look, I'm I'm getting better, I'm having this illness or that illness or this injury or that injury, my doctors are working with me, but the insurance company is applying significant pressure on me, they're forcing me, this is what people usually say to me, they're forcing me to go back to work or, or you know, to, to start a return to work program that I am not comfortable with and my doctors are not comfortable with. What are my rights? Can the insurance company force me to go to work? And, and what I typically say, and Albert, we'll, we'll see what you say, is, uh, you know, insurance companies are not allowed to force you to do anything. You should follow medical advice.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, de- I definitely agree. The best support you can have is documented medical support. So get as many of your treatment providers to undermine what the insurance company are saying without actually speaking to your doctors. They don't even speak mm-hmm. to your doctors when they come to these conclusions. And then they just say, you should return back to work. The best support you can get is to ask your doctors. And If your doctors say no, don't return to work, you probably shouldn't be. Yeah
1: guys. Great stuff for another week. If you uh, didn't get your email read or if you still want to reach out, there's plenty of opportunity. We just get to a few here, but there's, you know, six other days in the week where you can reach out. Here's how you do it. 1-855-821-5900. Toll-free number, of course. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And I want to mention mydisabilityquestions.com. I have before a couple times during the show. That is a place for you to go, free and anonymous. Ask your disability law questions. It could be for yourself, on behalf of a family member or a colleague doesn't know where to go ask them there there's a chance that question has been asked in the past because it's a well-used website very uh, very informative so there's a searchable database you can check if not leave the question there and it will get answered and we'll join you next time disability law show right here on global news radio
0: the preceding was a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser